0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. take your Bible and find John chapter 11. What do you think we're going to be preaching on this morning? <laughs> a little someone told me that Jessica did a phenomenal job singing that. Her parents told me that, so the week a week or two ago. So that was God's providence working everything together because I'm in John chapter 11 this week. John chapter 11, find your place in God's Word, I'm going, to, I'm going to read the entirety from verse 17 and following. And so we're John chapter 11, we looked at last week, kind of the, the introductory of this, the, the, the love of God that we see before the raising of Lazarus takes forth with his love for Lazarus and Martha and Mary and God's love and the timing of this event and what appeared to be four days late, we'll see, is exactly right on time. And now we go into, I guess you could say, the the miracle itself as Jesus gets there. The loss of his friend, supposedly loss of his friend Lazarus. There in John chapter 11, verse 17. I'll read all the way through verse 57. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And we had said this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly, and she went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were there in the home with her counseling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? and they said to him lord come and see Jesus then wept and so the jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he have opened the eye could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying and then Jesus deeply moved again he came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, I did not come. that if you," Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see, key phrase, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And we had said these things. He cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died, he came out, his hands and feet bound with linen and stripes and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and they said... He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And for the nation only, but also to gather into one of the children of God who scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to the town of, So that they might arrest him. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God we thank you for your word. We're grateful as your word reminds us. That you raised Lazarus from the dead. So that you could display the perfect glory of God. And Lord I pray today just as Lazarus called out many years ago. That we can believe and that we could truly see your glory portrayed by the gospel. That just as real as Lazarus was raised from the dead, you continue to raise from the dead those that are spiritually dead and in need of life. We thank you for the word this morning. Remove all the worries and the care and distractions of the day and let us hear from you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you some introductory introductory thoughts and kind of set the tone of the setting. You remember last week we kind of looked at a little bit of the intro in verses 1 through 16. This is the last and the greatest Of the seven miracles or the the seven signs, if you were to Google seven signs of Jesus in John's gospel, there are are seven miracles beginning there in the beginning of John's gospel. We we looked at them last week. There are seven miracles and basically what, what Jesus is saying to the world is I am God. There's no other way to explain this supernatural act other than God alone and God alone did it. It's also in, this, in these words, we have one of the I am statements. I'll get to that in just a moment. But in these seven I am statements to the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, just as God said to Moses at the burning bush, I am the great I am. Jesus is looking at the religious leaders and looking at humanity, and he says, I am the great I am. I am God. And we have all of this unfolding here, the great miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead we also can understand as you if you were to look at an outline some of our study Bibles may have an outline in the front and you see here there's a the tension is mounting Jesus has been preaching and teaching and giving his discourses he's been doing signs and wonders and making these bold statements and this crazy even as we see Lazarus being raised from the dead you would think if Lazarus had been raised from the dead the altar would be full of folks that have given their life to Christ wouldn't you think they saw him raise him to the dead and they still went to Jerusalem so that they could have him persecuted. And so in the midst of God doing his great works, there's still going to be unbelief. And so we see here in John chapter 11, you can feel the tension and this miracle is that last miracle that Jesus does before he, he turns and he heads toward Jerusalem and he heads toward the cross. You think about this idea. They have the one before them, but they fail to recognize who the one is. It's like this morning, I'm preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and his being Savior and Lord. We have the one before us, but do we recognize he is the one that is before us? In this we see, and I'll unpack all of this, we see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but what we see also is a foreshadowing. We sang about that, the foreshadowing of Jesus being raised from the dead. We not only see Lazarus being raised from the dead in that picture, but we see believers, humanity that are believers, their their spiritual life being raised from the dead. There's a lot of things going on here. Look in verse 40. It's kind of the the main idea of the way that I'm going to walk through this text. We see that Jesus looks at them and says, Did I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God. In this picture, in this chapter, we truly see the glory of God manifested. In my studies this week, A.W. Peake, a theologian, pastor, writer, he made these words in in one of his uh, his studies on, on John. The glory of God is basically God manifesting his indivisible perfections, invisible perfections. So think about that. I said that wrong. Well, God is displaying the glory of God. He's displaying God's invisible perfections. I like that. God is all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful. He's full of love. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. Do you believe that? Say amen. What a picture of that, seeing a dead man raised to life. Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed in me, I'm going to show you the glory. I'm going to show you the invisible perfections of the Father. Lazarus, come forth. What a picture of these verses of the glory of God on display through Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Think about this. The setting that Martha and Mary had reached out to Lazarus. And remember from last week, they had reached out to Lazarus' death. They had reached out to Jesus. Jesus loved them. Don't forget that. He loved them. We looked at John 3.16, for God so loved, this is motivated by love. He loved them, but yet he died. You'll notice in the bulletin, I didn't reference it last week, on the right-hand side of the order of service, and we think about trials and suffering and death. Can you imagine Martha and Mary sitting there wondering, questioning Jesus why did Lazarus death how do we live in a life of trials and circumstances and setback I think that right hand side of your order of service you need to keep that and look at God's word we all go through trials we all think that God is not doing what we think he need to do we all think that God is four days late but he's not we see Jesus and Bethany and all of this fits in together. We see Martha and Mary and Lazarus who love them. We see Bethany. It is two miles from Jerusalem. It's very close to Jerusalem where everything will fall into place and, and the, the greatest picture of love and redemption will ever be on display. And I think Jesus, I think God allowed this to be the setting. He wanted to leave no doubt. He wanted to leave no doubt about who he was. That's close proximity. You see, the many worshipers and mourners, I should say, and they've come to weep and mourn. That's what you did. In Jewish culture, you would even pay people to come do that. I mean, can you imagine being a professional mourner? And so it's so close to the city. There's a a great crowd. There's no doubt that word will not get back to Jerusalem. There's no doubt that what is taking place will be known by everyone. And then we see Lazarus dead for four days. Four days. Jewish culture, three days, the the spirit of your body would hover over you. So in essence, for three days, there was still a chance you might come back to life, so to speak. But but for three days in Jewish culture, for three days, the spirit would hover over your, your dead body. But in Jewish culture, four days, dead was dead. Leave no doubt dead is dead god said i'm going to raise the dead they're going to leave no doubt and then we see christ arriving we see this raising of lazarus dead from the dead we see this bridge and if you look at the the rest of the text through the end of the gospel and before the passion narrative We see the conclusion of his public ministry, and we see a a bridge. So think about this. We see this great miracle take place in front of his disciples, and then immediately he segues into a more of a, a personal ministry with his disciples. He shows them who he is, and then he teaches them of what's about to come. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, isn't there? Sometimes we just get kind of hung up right there at the tomb. That is a, God is doing a great work to teach us a great many truths here. This is what I want us to consider as we look at this. God's glory on display in these four different settings. Setting one, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, it's easy for us to pick on Martha and Mary and all those in Scripture because we know the how it ends. But before we pick on Martha and Mary about doubting, we're doubting right in here today over something, aren't we? We're questioning something. We're doubting something. We, we want to know why something has happened, but yet it's going on anyway. And why does God allow this to happen? And so right in the midst of this, we see Jesus coming. And when Jesus had come, he had found Lazarus. had been dead four days, verse 17 and verse 20. So Martha went to him and said, Jesus... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said, Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha understood that in the resurrection, in Jewish culture, the understanding, there would be a resurrection of the dead. But see, she missed it. Jesus said, listen, I'm not talking about what's going to happen. I'm talking about what is happening. I am the resurrection and the life I am the reason that we will rise again I am God real quick I want to go over those seven I am so we haven't talked about these in a while John 6 I am the bread of life he who comes to me will never hunger and thirst John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Who who follows me will never walk in darkness. You see what he's doing? He's putting a personal aspect to religion. The Jews were religious. Jesus says, I'm God. The world would say, the Jewish world would say, we believe in God. Jesus just saying, but you need to believe in me. The world would say, we believe in religion. We believe in good things. We believe in, in, in going to church and doing these nice acts and being religious. And Jesus said, no, you need to believe in me. See, with Jesus, it's always personal. Martha says, I believe something's going to happen in the future. Jesus said, look at me. It's in the present you need to focus on. I am the resurrection and the life. Nothing in the future will take place without me. I am the door of the sheep, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go and find pasture. John 10, 15, the fourth one. I am the great shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. You notice the personal nature here. I, you, I, you. John 11:25. 25, where we are here, the fifth one. I am the resurrection and the life. An emphatic claim to his deity and his lordship and that he is a savior. I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. Who abides in me will bear much fruit. Do you see what's going on there? The miracles point to his deity and who he was, his authority, his power. These I am statements are saying he is the one. Martha says, I believe. Martha's always confused, didn't she here? I believe, I believe, I believe. I think our world is confused with believe. Listen, it is more than believing in a historical figure, Jesus Christ. This is going to sound, don't, don't judge your pastor. This is going to sound off the wall. So if you're going to wake up, now's a good time. I don't want you to go to sleep and not hear part of this. You know how tired I get when people say they believe in Jesus? You've probably never heard a pastor say that before, have you? I get so sick and tired of people saying I believe in Jesus. Please let me finish that. What do you believe about Him? You cannot believe in Jesus and not love Him and adore Him and follow Him and pour your life into Him and serve Him and wallow at His feet like Mary does. You cannot believe in Jesus and not have the joy of your salvation springing forth because you realize you're in a stinky tomb just like Lazarus and God rolled that stone away and you come bursting forth as a new creation in Christ. I went through a little period of time where somebody would say that, and i said, say, what do you believe about God? You want to talk about, it? first time I did that, I was in a hospital room visiting with somebody, and it was kind of one of those things, hey, Brother John, if you're in the hospital, I got a, a, a relative that, that's sick, and I don't know really where he stands, it's kind of one of those. So everybody's on their best behavior when the pastor comes in the room, and so the pastor comes in the room, and like, the pastor's here, and they always say it so everybody won't cuss when the pastor's in the room. You always got the cousins in there, you know. It's the pastor. <laughs> Y'all do that to meet some of y'all's friends. You, you, I want to get out of the car good. You know, the pastor's coming, because you don't want to be embarrassed. Oh, pastor, I believe about God. This is what I said. I wasn't trying to be funny. I was just trying to be biblical. So do I. What do you believe about them? Crickets. Let me tell you something. What do you believe about God determines who you know about God, what you know about God, and who you are in relationship to God. I believe. He said, "But this is what you need to believe. This is the good. This is what makes the gospel the good news." Jesus says, "That's great, Martha. I got that. But do you believe in me?" I am the resurrection and the life. Notice what he says. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Martha had faith, but she didn't at this point have this personal faith. Because when we believe in me, though he die, he'll live. There's there's an idea of that spiritual death. When you believe in Christ, then you will live. Some of us out here today understand that because you know you're not living. You're alive, but you're dead, and some of us have had to be dead before we become alive. To believe is to live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There's that idea of the not ever dying. You think about it, once you give your life to Jesus, well, I'll rephrase that. I think we all live for eternity, Some of us in here today that have never repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, you will live for eternity and well, but that's going to be an eternal damnation in a place called hell. You may die, but your soul immediately goes to hell. For those that are believers, the moment you physically die, your your soul goes in the presence of the Lord. Eternity. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Look at verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You may think that is true salvific faith, which is good. Now, we need to understand also that based on what she has in front of her, that's pretty good faith. But then we see also in verse 39 that she questioned whether or not Jesus could raise him from the dead. So you think, well, surely if she had faith that he was God, that she had faith. I made this note. Faith to believe is faith plus faith. If we believe who Jesus is, and we have faith in who Jesus is, and we have faith that he'll do what he says he's going to do. Some of us look at our salvation, and we might be sitting here today, and we say something like this. All right, I'm going to give this Jesus thing a try. All right, I'm going to try this Christian thing. But if I go out there and things don't go my way, that's not faith. Faith is, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ and whatever happens. True faith there would have been Martha saying, Lord, you are the God, you are Jesus Christ, you are God. Martha would have been the one telling him to take the stone back. Not questioning when Jesus asked for the stone to go back. God's glory on display through Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. Next little scene here. Jesus sweeps. How many of you tried that in RAs? I was in R.A.'s we had to memorize the scripture verse. You know what my scripture verse always was? John eleven thirty five. Nobody else did that but me? Who's gonna memorize the scripture verse? I oh, will, what's your verse? John eleven thirty 35, what is it? Jesus whipped. I'm the one in Southern Baptist Convention, they had to put that clause in. Other than that verse, what verse will you memorize? Shortest verse in scripture. A lot of significance there. Jesus weeps. Let's look at it a little differently. Mary comes, Mary's weeping. Little side note here, every time you see Mary, she's always at the feet of Jesus. He hears Jesus is there, she comes to the feet of Jesus, she's weeping, Everybody's weeping. Some of the people are just weeping to be weeping. Some of the people are mourning because that's what they do. Like I said, Jewish cult, they professional mourners. They got a, moaning and wailing and weeping, and there's a vast many of them. But you all, you had Mary weeping, you have Martha weeping, you have everybody that is weeping. When Jesus saw their weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit. Now, I'm going to dazzle you with some Greek knowledge here. You know what this word literally means in the original language? A horse snorting. You ever seen a horse snort for you cowboys out there? He's mad, right? Jesus is mad. He's frustrated. He's frustrated. And so we have to sit there and ask ourselves, wait a minute, he's weeping. No, this word literally means he was, he was agitated and he was frustrated. He was deeply moved in the spirit and he was greatly troubled. And so all we can do is just look into this and try to figure out, since we can't read Jesus' mind, what was he frustrated about? I think he was frustrated and deeply upset and burdened. We see Jesus in the flesh. We see Jesus as a man, the fallenness of man, and the ravages of sin. Because of Adam and Eve and all humanity, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there's death. And so he has someone that he, he loves and he cares for, and he's God in the flesh, he's man, we see his humanity here, and he's just mad that there's death and there's sin in the world. John MacArthur pointed out in his studies of this that he also thinks that he's just, he looks up and sees the hypocrisy of the morning and he's mad at them, wailing and frailing around like they don't have any hope. And he's mad because he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And you live like you don't have any hope. And I've come since the beginning and I've been living and I've been telling you over and over again, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. In John's gospel, he said over and over and over, I am the Christ. And there's still a morning with no hope. I thought, gosh, that's kind of the life of a pastor sometimes. We sing and we celebrate and we acknowledge that there is a Christ and we think about the thing to the Lord and the preciousness of the Spirit and the Word and then the second something doesn't go our way, we flounder out and we. some of us can be professional mourners. Oh, we don't have any hope. Oh, what are we going to do? I think it just troubled him. It said he was greatly troubled. But then immediately look at verse 35. He wept. Do you know what that means? Sadness, compassion, and care. Oh, the ravagesness of sin on humanity in this Loss of lo- loss of hope, and this hope in this dead religion, and yet I am standing there, and you're weeping and you're mourning. But Mary, I love you. Aren't you glad that God has a, a steadfast love for us, that Jesus would weep over the condition of man? I think we also could read into this uh, the, the depravity of man and the deadness of man and the fallenness of man and he weeps. And immediately after this heads to the cross of Calvary. What was he doing in the garden? Praying and weeping over the depravity of man and the cost that it would pay. Think about this. Weeping over the cost that it would cost him to pay for our sin, and Jesus wept. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He he came to the tomb. So we have. Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. We see this Jesus weeping. Then we see in verses 38 and following this grand statement. Every time I say it, though, I I say it in the King James Version. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. Look at verse 40. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's that's it. There's the picture, the tomb. He said, you're about to see the invisible perfections of God. You are about to witness the manifestation of the glory of God. You know, I've often said this. There's a couple of weird things. I, I think about a lot of odd things. I've often thought it'd be the coolest thing in the world to have a pair of regeneration glasses. Can you imagine how awesome it would be if I had some glasses on right now that I could see your heart? And the moment you became born again, I could see it. I'd be up here shouting all the time. You know, the greatest display of the glory of God is when that dead-hearted sinner by grace through faith becomes born again and comes out of that tomb of spiritual death and is a new person. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to see? You want to see the glory of God manifested. Some of us need to remember what it was like to be lost. Just look at yourself in the mirror and to the glory of God that you were saved. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest display of the glory of God there is. One of the old church confessions, the Westminster Catechism talks about the chief end of man is to do what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God through the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ and to enjoy Him forever. There's not a greater manifestation of the glory of God than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That a holy God sent His Son for a sinful man and by grace through faith We may be saved. It's not just good news, it's great news. That Jesus brings life in the midst of death. Here spiritually, I mean here physically we see that. But yet we know he's pointing to that spiritual life. He knows what is about to happen. He says, "I, you, you need to see this and you will see the glory of God. What do you think took place on the cross when they took Jesus' dead body out of that cross? What do you think? I never thought about this as I was singing. That's why I love singing before I preach. Mary weeping at the tomb. You get that? Mary was weeping at the tomb and the Savior came forth. Mary was weeping at the tomb and Jesus called her brother to come forth. What a display of the glory of God that we see of physical raising, but yet Jesus knew what he was doing, that he was pointing to his physical and his spiritual raising on the cross. Notice what he did. He lifted up his eyes to the Father. What a great picture of God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. What a great picture of the dependence on God by Jesus Christ, God the Father. What a great picture of God receiving all the glory. Everybody heard him say this. He didn't just do it himself. He's not some televangelist. He's not some self-made apostle. He's not some self-made prophet that always gets the glory in modern teaching and preaching. He lifted up his eyes to his Father and he prayed. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. He was, he, he was being very clear on what was going on, who he was, where he was from, what he was sent to do. And that's been his message throughout John. That's what the religious leaders could not handle, who he was, where he's from, who's his father, who's sending him, why is he here. Everything that Jesus does is always consistent with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. I've got a list of places I'm going, I, I always, again, my mind, things I wish I could have seen. This is one of them. Jesus cried out. Notice what he said. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. If you take that word and you look at it in its original language, as another place that we see that phrase. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always... Be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another from these words. and the same tone and pitch, Lazarus, come forth. When the Lord descends from heaven, there's going to be a sounding of the Lord's voice and the trumpet call. Wednesday night, I said over and over and over, the next great event is going to be the second coming, the Lord's return, the Lord's return, and, and I love questions, and I know sometimes when you're preaching and teaching, you, you, you kind of not get ahead of yourself, but sometimes you don't fill in the blanks, you just assume, and, and somebody came up to me and goes, where's the rapture in that? Great question. The next great event is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a sounding forth of God, and the the trumpet will call. Now, we have a a difference. That's one of the difficult things when people become believers. They never realize there were so many differences within the church. Somebody says, Preacher, how can we have one Bible, one Trinity, and have so many divisions. And I said, because we're still involved with it. I'm trying to be funny, but I'm serious. We're still involved with it. So there, there are differences of, of the end times. And somebody says, well, why are there differences of the end times? Because Scripture does not explicitly teach exactly the steps verbatim. So this is the way I do it. Okay? The next great event is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I differ from from of the television and the books, because sometimes we watch a video and read a book, and that becomes our theology. I differ from some of the, the books and the movies because it makes it sound like this event happens and nobody knows. You don't, I, I just do not see that anywhere in the scripture. That Jesus is going to come in and sneak the church out and nobody knows about it. Shh. I'm coming to get the church, but I don't want anybody to know about it. And I know I'm making fun, but that just makes no sense to me. And if I'm wrong, when I get to heaven, I will not even care that I was wrong. So I kind of do it like this. I don't worry about the time between the rapture and the second coming. I let God worry about the many days, seconds, hours, years. Some people get real hung up on that. I just like to make things real simple because I think Scripture is pretty simple on this. I think when the Lord comes, He is going to come, and in one swooping motion, He scoops the church up, and that next, when the when the trumpet sounds and the resounding voice of the Lord, it is going to be no doubt what has happened. Leave no doubt. When the Lord comes, everybody's going to know. And he is going to gather up those that are his, the elect, the church, the whosoever. And in one swoop, he comes in and takes us. And the next swoop, the wrath of God is poured out on all humanity. So people say, well, how long is this? How, you're overthinking it. Okay, I had somebody tell me one time, I said, Lord, I just know this. I don't want to go through no tribulation. Okay, tell that the Apostle Paul and Peter and Mark and Matthew and Luke and missionaries right now. Americans just don't like any persecution. Hello? They're ravaging the churches across the globe right now. Tell them they're not going through tribulation. I don't have time for my end time seminar. There is going to be a tribulation and an outpouring that man has never seen before. But we are his and we will not go through it. We will go through tribulation. We will go through heartache. But we're talking about the undiluted outpouring of God's wrath on sin. We're not going to be around for that. Because when he said, Lazarus, come forth, he's going to say, John, come up. That's why I tell people when the horns toots, I'm on scoot. (laughs) I've never believed this little secret adventure going on that nobody knows about, and we're all stumbling over clothes in the choir loft. (laughs) Lazarus, by the word, by the word, Lazarus came forth from death to life. By the word, today we come from death. To life. Just as real as Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. When I prepare the gospel and I preach the gospel and we share the gospel and we share the word, just as authoritative as Jesus saying, come forth. And I think it's Matthew, Henry, and of course others have said this. I think it's Matthew, Henry that said, if he didn't have put Lazarus there, everybody would have come forth. But he said, Lazarus, when we preach the gospel, this is God's word into the hearts of mankind. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to trick anybody. I don't have to do anything other than, hey, somebody roll the stone back. i am going to preach the word. And Lazarus came forth. And I says, what in the world are we going to do? Pastor, what are we going to do in our world today? We're going to roll back that stone what we're going to do. And we're going to start preaching the word. And we're going to preach the word in season. And we're going to preach the word out of season. And we're going to look at people and say, thus saith the Lord, come out. What if they don't want to? That's on them. This is God's word, not my word. It's not against me. It's against God. That's liberating right there, isn't it? It's always been God's word that brings forth death alive again I've, I've been looking at John 11 about a month now when he had said these things he cried out the loud voice the come forth the man had come out I mean just think about it he could have superimposed him through the brick wall or whatever oh, he could have just kind of come out but then they probably thought that would have been a ghost now roll that stone back because he's going to walk out of there By the way, somebody help him get his grave clothes off. And you know some of y'all wouldn't have touched that for nothing. I ain't touching that old stinky love clothes. Somebody else get over there and get that off. Well, we got the flu bug going around. I'm not touching that. Somebody help him take his clothes off because that's a real man right there, and he's alive. Go over there and touch him because he's alive and his name is Lazarus. No doubt. Wanting a ghost, wanting some supernatural, ooh, a real man that was really dead became a real alive, and Jesus Christ did it. The moment that you were saved, a real person that was really dead became really alive, and Jesus Christ did it. Wouldn't that be awesome on a Sunday if somebody were to say, you know, because I, I tell people whether, whether you, you know, come forward and talk to me after the service, wouldn't it be kind of neat that... Today, somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, I got saved. Hey, I need some help down here. We got to get some grave clothes off. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's create that. Let's do a grave clothes off ministry. Because he was dead. They were dead. And now they are alive. Now, sometimes we stop there and we just, woo, four days late, Yay. Look at the rest of these verses. We'll finish with this. Notice this conflict. You would think, you would think, after that, let's just have a parade. No, just the opposite. I think that if you have an ESV Bible, I have an ESV, the the heading. It's so, I mean, just look at it. My heading Jesus raises Lazarus. That section. Next section. The plot to kill Jesus. Who are these people? He just raised a man from the dead. Now they're wanting to kill him. Exactly. There is no salvation apart from the cross. We step back and we think, oh my goodness, what's Jesus going to do now? They're plot to kill Jesus. Everything that is taking place is exactly on God's redemptive Timetable. De- raising Lazarus from the dead means nothing if Jesus Christ does not give his life as a propitiation for our sin on the cross. It means nothing. Some believed. Some did not believe. Isn't it amazing, though, what they were concerned about? Notice, if you don't read this, so they, they go to Jerusalem, and, they, and Caiaphas are having this meeting, and for some reason, we think if we have enough people, and we have a consensus, it's kind of like our country, if enough people say it's okay, it becomes okay. So they get a consensus, and they said, oh, we got to do something about this, because we are going to lose blank. We are going to lose our nation. We are going to lose our people. When we think about Jesus Christ, it cost us everything. So many people will not come to Christ and they yield to come to Christ because what will it cost them? They had the Savior of the entire universe standing before them and they were afraid they were going to lose their nation. I got news for you. They're still fighting over that nation. And until they look to Jesus Christ, they're going to still fight over that nation. Isn't that that crazy? You never thought about that before. The Jews said, we need to kill him. We'll never have our nation. They still don't have it until they recognize Jesus Christ. That'll make you think, won't it? What do we, What we cannot get rid of this. From man's perspective, we know God's got to work in redemption. We know that. But in our perspective, we say, I can't do this because of this. I can't submit because of this. The whole Jewish nation will not submit to him because they thought they would lose something. What are you afraid you're going to lose? You'll gain everything. Lose everything, you'll gain everything. He doesn't want a little of you. He wants all of you. That'll preach. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to a region near the wilderness. We read these things like that, and we think, was Jesus afraid? Was Jesus? No. Everything about Scripture is according to God's divine plan. When he entered Jerusalem, when the Passover took place, who was leading the government, Who was doing this? Every detail of redemptive history, God is in control of. Jesus wasn't hiding out in fear. Jesus was waiting on the word from the Father. Think about it. Let's let's close with this. God's glory on display. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he might die, shall live. Jesus weeps over sin and the depravity of man and the hopelessness of man. And he weeps because he cares for those that are his. Jesus calls out for Lazarus to come forth. And he does. And a dead man becomes alive. then what should be his greatest moment on earth in our eyes, the plot thickens so that he can go to the cross and fulfill this event in redemptive ways. I wonder how many of us here this morning are way more than four days dead. You know what you need to do because you can hear the voice of the Spirit. You can hear the voice of the Savior. You know what needs to be done. You're you're struggling. You're, You're anxious. Come to Christ. Let go of all of it. Lose it all to gain a Savior. If He can raise a man from the dead, He can take our life and our worries and our cares, our future, the unknowns, and He'll take them, and He'll give us new life. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word to us here today. Lord, I can only imagine the sound of your voice when you called Lazarus to come forth. But I believe your voice is calling us here today to come forth. Not to physically come forth, but to spiritually come to Christ. Lord, we thank you for your spirit and for your word. We thank you for that calling upon our life. And Lord, I pray right now that if there's anyone here today that needs to respond by faith, that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, for those of us that are the church, that are believers, I thank you for the reminder of your calling upon our life. You raised us from the dead to newness of life, a life of believing, a life of faith, a life of victory, a life of of purpose. A life that we live this side of heaven so full of despair and disappointments and setbacks, but Lord, we're forgetting we don't live for this side of heaven. We live now for all eternity, and so Lord, allow us to hear Your voice this morning. Open up our ears, so we can hear You calling us this morning. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.